The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. One. Hi. Um. I was recently on a, a trip of pilgrimage to Myanmar and um, with a Dharma teacher, his name is, he's a, a, a Brit, his name is Stephen Batchelor. And um, his, his, well, he has, you know, he's a very good teacher, has lots of things to say, but for me, the central theme of uh, his teaching now is that um, this is nirvana. Isn't that nice? And that we cover up nirvana with our reactivities. But the, um, the, 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 the less the intensity of our reactivities or the cessation of our um, uh, reactiveness, I'm not, not activities. Um, we experience nirvana. This is as good as it gets. When I was at Green Gulch Farm, <clears throat> my job was director of the fields, the farm. And I lived in a, uh, there was a big barn at the top of the hill. The farm was lower down on the hill. And there was a, there was a huge zendo or meditation hall there, gigantic and, you know, high. And, um, and above that meditation hall, you know, there, there were uh, rooms, and I lived in one of those rooms. And one night I was sleeping and I was awakened by the uh, wailing, the tormented wailing of some animals in the field. And what is a, a sound I'd never heard before. And it persisted, it didn't stop. So I uh, got dressed and I went down into the fields in the middle of the night. And it was coming from the chicken coop. So I uh, opened the door to the chicken coop and no more wailing. Everybody's asleep. All the chickens are asleep. And the raccoons were asleep. The raccoons were draped over the chickens, you know, like a <laughs> 1940s movie star, you know, just very dramatic poses. And I looked up and there, there's a chicken wire that uh, is supposed to keep them out that's attached to the rafters, but the chicken wire was kind of like a hammock for a bunch of raccoons. They'd, they'd found their way, and they were just like lying there. You know. We're asleep. There's no problem here. So they stop eating the raccoons, I mean the chickens, and the... Uh, no problem for the chickens. They're asleep. So I knew I had to get them out of there, of course, 
and I tried to shoo them out, but they were not uh, so amenable to my shooing. They were dedicated. They were, they were, they chickens were right there, and um, so I determined I've got to take more serious measures. And I knew that we had garbage can lids outside. There were there were grain for the chickens was all in the garbage cans. So I went out and I got a couple of garbage can lids. And as soon as I closed the door to the chicken coop, all the wailing, all the torture, torturous wailing began again in full force, just like it was before. So I brought the garbage can lids in, opened the door. No problem. Everybody's asleep. Chickens asleep. They're not getting eaten now. Raccoons are asleep. So I banged the garbage cans together, and uh, I managed to sh- to get them out. They reluctantly, very reluctantly, just they just couldn't take it anymore. And they, uh, one of them got up and started to slither out, and they all just followed. They all left. No more raccoons. Not one single raccoon. And um, this was a, a, a dramatic story for me. Um, it struck me how these chickens just went to sleep in the face of death. Their imminent death right there, a few bites away, right next to them, right on their left shoulder, their right shoulder. And they, they went to sleep. And I think why it struck me is it reminded me, reminds me of our human condition. How we are um, asleep. To some extent, we're asleep in the face of our imminent doom. I hope you all don't mind this subject. Um, it's a subject that's close to my heart. I uh, think you heard I was a Zen hospice volunteer for 20 years. And, um, and uh, death reflections have been a big part of my meditation. Very freeing. So, so it's um, contemplating death, recollecting death is, in a way, it's, you know, it can strike, in, strike up fear. But it's not meant to be... Um, Morbid. It's not meant to be depressing. Um, it's meant to, you know, to really embrace this, this truth, this, uh, this death that's on our left shoulder. And um, by embracing it, the more we can embrace it, the more crystallized our life intention becomes. Our pettiness can pale in comparison to this huge fact. And we can be like the chickens, you know, we can, you know, go after the grain and scramble against, this, you know, struggle against each other and get into fights and, you know, winning our grain, winning our 
like the chickens, wanting our praise, wanting our recognition, wanting our fame, you know, wanting uh, our house, our nice clothes, our sex, our um, material things, our dresses and nice clothes and cars and successes and... uh, We can really want these things, scramble over these things, you know, just get so caught up in these things. But in the face of death, if that's brought to bear on your piece of chocolate cake, um, you'll notice the chocolate cake tastes pretty good for a bite or two. But then you get sick of it. Praise comes and goes. The Buddha said, um, they criticize you when you talk too much. They criticize you when you don't talk enough. And they criticize you when you talk in between. So there's nothing reliable, really, on this earth. So I wanted to get close to this truth, and uh, that's why I became a Zen Hospice Project volunteer to to be with to be with death, and that's why I work at I'm a chaplain at hospitals to be with illness and dying to get close to it. It's a um, very important reflection in Buddhism. Uh, There are four big reflections. And the Buddha said the reflection on death is what is it the um, the king of reflections so just as an elephant uh, print in the mud dwarfs all the other animals paws in the mud so the reflection on death um, dwarfs all other reflections. The um, Dalai Lama was asked, why does he practice? What is the purpose of his life? And he said, to learn how to die. It's interesting to be with dying people what they value. They get up in the morning. They spend their day. They're not flustered by much. I asked my dad when he was on his last, in his last year, I suppose. Um, How are you today, Dad? 
And he'd say, it's wonderful to breathe. And I say, what do you think about? He says, I don't think about anything. Gosh, I've been doing meditation all these years. <laughs> I can't get that honed down and clear and free. So um, I wonder if you can see that, how we'll let, we will do a reflection and... Um, how it can bring freedom and meaning to life and shed um, a lot of the rinky-dink desires and fears and angers and jealousies and pettinesses that imbue our mind. We shouldn't disrespect them. Death includes all of that. We should love them and let them, you know, absorb into our experience and let them go. Only by loving them, seeing them, looking at them, against the clear foil of emptiness, can we let them go. And, you know, it's not like you got to let go of all this stuff completely. No, but just you know, a little bit. A little bit helps. 10%. I'm going to just check my notes just really quickly here. So if it would be okay with you, I'd like to do a reflection, uh, a recollection together. So, you know, just get into a comfortable, awake posture. And settle yourselves. Settle your heart. Relax the mind and the body. And you've had... um, a physical and you've done all the blood panels and x-rays too a thorough physical and you go in for the consultation with your doctor expecting as usual a clean bill of health but instead your doctor says to you I'm really sorry 
to tell you this, but you have cancer. And you have six months to live. So you take that in. And you leave the office and go to your car, drive yourself home. Go into your home and just sit down. Taking this in. What does this mean? And you can feel some intensity. And you can feel how this is changing you in some way. and you allow it to change you. And of course you think about what you should do. You settle your financial arrangements So you don't have to worry about practical matters. You settle your funeral or cremation or whatever arrangements. So your loved ones don't have to worry about that. They know exactly what to do when you die. And you know that you have to tell everyone that loves you. And over the days and weeks you do that, you have talks, you say goodbye. Although you still have, you know, several months to live. But you're taking care of business. And business has been now all taken care of. And the phone is ringing. And you pick up the phone and it's your doctor. He said, it's three months really. Just gotten the results of your latest tests and things are going faster than we anticipated. I'm sorry. How does this change you? You hang up the phone. How does this change the way you relate to the experience of your life now.
How does it change your attitude toward your life? Toward your preoccupations. Toward your distractions. Toward your relationships. Living with yourself for three more months. It's two months. Time goes by kind of quickly. One month. You think it was only yesterday that I was a child. What happened? Like your life was a mirage. A dream. But here you are now in full intensity and awareness. A week. You're in bed now, lying on your back in your room. The daylight comes in through your window. It's a clean, fresh feeling in your room. long time, a week. How are you now? Your karma is not gone. The uh, painful thoughts that you have had in your life, unresolved, unreconciled, injuries, your once come up. Your angers, your irritations come up. Your jealousies come up. And how do you relate to that now? How do you relate to your karma now? Welcome. Everyone is welcome.
Let it all in. This is your life. It's everything. And as you warmly welcome it all home, it becomes absorbed into the moment. And simply part of your pure heart now. One day, what are you experiencing now? the hours vanish. Time is kind of standing still, but it's moving on too. What are you aware of now? How do you feel now? If you could... um, suddenly be told, oh, you're going to get well. And you got well and you lived. Knowing what you know now, how would you live your life differently? Ten seconds. Five seconds. Everything is included. Four, three, two, one. And you're dead.
I'd like to read something. Um, Maybe some of you have heard of Carlos Castaneda. He was a very popular writer in the 60s, and he, he wrote about his relationship to his uh, American Indian shaman teacher. Very popular in the 60s because there was lots of peyotes in this book. Visions. So this is a teaching from Don Juan. Death is your eternal companion. It is the hunter. And it is always to your left at an arm's length. It has always been watching you and it always will until the day it taps you. How can you feel so important when you know death is stalking you? The thing to do when you're impatient is to turn to your left and ask advice from your death, your best friend, An immense amount of pettiness is dropped if your death makes a gesture to you. Or if you catch a glimpse of it. Or if you just have the feeling that your companion is watching you. The fact of your death is never uh, pressed far enough. It is the only wise advisor that you have. The only wise advisor more wise than Gil. And whenever you feel that everything is going wrong and you're about to be annihilated, turn to your left and ask us, is that so? Your death will tell you you are wrong. That nothing really matters outside of its touch. Your death will tell you, I haven't touched you yet. To ask for death's advice is to drop the cursed pettiness that belongs to men and women who live their lives as if death will never tap them. I figure I have... um, a sliver of life left. Maybe uh, an eighth of my life is left. Maybe a tenth of my life is left. And when I think back upon my uh, life, and you know, as I mentioned when I was eight years old in fifth grade or something like that. So... There he is, eighth grade, and here I am now. And where did that time go? Vanished by the snap of a finger, like a dewdrop.
like a flash of lightning. And when the next tenth or eighth, which is much smaller in time, goes by, it'll be like that too. I'll just be, I'll be dead before I know it. Be dying before I know it. It'll happen fast, you know. There's a saying, life is uncertain, but death is certain. So um, I'm, I would love to hear from you, you know, um, how that reflection was for you and, or just your thoughts and or questions, anything, if you feel like sharing. Is there a microphone we can? There was something there was something that happened for me when you got to the part that where you said you're gonna live. Um you're gonna get well. And just right before that, I'd been thinking about, you know, okay, one, you know, this short amount of time left. And what I, you know, really thought, what the essence of what I wanted to be was kind. Hmm. And then when you said, you're going to get well, it was like, I left something back there, and it was ego. It was like, just dropped. It was just, wow. I mean, I just saw it drop. It's weird. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm happy for you. That sounds very nice. I think it's back now, though. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, as I said, you know, just a little bit. Just keep working at this stuff. And we can just know our pettiness and, you know, know our, you know, one to be, come, something. What's your name? Yes. Wanting to be some kind of Ed. You know, many kinds of Eds. I'm sure there are. Father, partner, wife, you know, husband perhaps. Uh, um, Buddhist student, uh, whatever you did as in, you know, in your occupation, your work, work world, so many, 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 as, and, and then wanting this ad to be well thought of. So important to have this ad be well thought of. What if that didn't exist? And what if our heartbreaks could just be Included. Just included in the experience of now. In- so included that it almost doesn't matter. It's almost unimportant. It's just part of the ongoing experience.
welcoming our uh, anger toward people, toward toward someone, something. Welcoming our desire toward someone, something. Welcoming it, just including it so much against the, does this make sense to you? Against the foil of death? Does this make any sense? (laughs) I sense it as I'm saying it as part of a meditation, but... To know these things, to know them well. And to let go. What we can really, what really matters, what's really important isn't what we get, what we have, who we are. What's really important for our happiness is what we can let go of. Anyone else? Well, while you were talking, my left hearing aid, which is a Bluetooth device, announced connection lost. Oh. Well, then I hope you had a nice meditation. Yeah. So this is just a question. If we don't have a partner and we are blessed with some friends, how come we have to tell anybody we're dying? I mean, what if we just are able to be play in with our friends and they might notice we're cutting back a little on stuff and then maybe we just... I mean, I'm really sorry, but I really was there with you as we're going through this process. And then maybe we just say we're going on a trip or something. I mean, why do we have to have all of the people looking at us and thinking we're dying? Why do we have to do that? I wouldn't mind if somebody just played and then went on a trip and then I found out they died. Maybe I do, would mind. Oh, I just was asking this question. It might be a gift to them. Maybe you don't need it, but it might be a gift to them. To know that you're okay, to know that you're peaceful with it. Know that you're good. It's okay. Don't worry about me. I'll miss you. You'll miss me. I know that, but it's okay. That might be a reason. That doesn't have to be, you know, of course. Say, in that case, you could just write a letter (laughs) and have it present. So maybe with some pictures and some chocolate cake. Um, That's coming from a warm heart. Since... I was handed the mic. On the flip side, kind of on your point, grief. Oftentimes when 
we lose something or when we detach, there's a sense of grief, loss. How does one deal with that? How do, they, how do we accelerate our ability to go from like the various cycles, whether it's anger and bargaining, and you know, to just be good with it? So that's one question to deal and accelerate um, like the grief cycle. Could, I, and, could we just yeah, talk sure. about that and then go to your next question? So um, what, what comes to me is ask your advisor. Death, your best friend. Um, what do I do about this grief? Death. And let death tell you. I don't know if that's a satisfactory answer for you. Um, but I, I like this idea of very much, you know, as death is our best friend. And, you know, I suggest to you, it works for me, you know, just ask death. What should I do? How should I be? How should I regard this situation? And you might get some wisdom. But um, the uh, instruction I've always heard about grief is turn toward it. Feel it thoroughly. Include it. Don't cover it over. Let it have its own journey. But I don't know what death would say to you. If my wife died, I don't know. I think that's pretty good advice. Let you have your, you know, your, this is your journey. Just include it. It's okay. It's wonderful. It shows what a loving, open heart you have that you can grieve. And that's what, uh, one beauty of this, uh, this recollection. It, somehow it uncovers our beautiful, good, pure treasure, our hearts. Opens our hearts. As you reported for you. In Buddhism, we believe in, uh, we don't believe in original sin. We believe in original goodness. So the more we can uh, let go of the distractions and clingings and come home, come home to rest, um, the more our treasure is with us. So what was your second question? I asked death and it answered it. I think when you said the, 
there was a month, to, or I think it was a month to live, and then. Or excuse me, I'm not hearing. I'm sorry. I think when you had said, is it better? Oh, is it better? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I thought when you said uh, when there was a month left or something, and then you got a, I got a phone call from the doctor saying that you would live on. I think there was a that sense of peace, knowing, oh, okay, I'm gonna die. And then, because I think of how hard, you know, life is as we struggle through. And then the moment you said, oh, well, you're going to live on, it all of a sudden seemed kind of like, oh, I have to go back. Yeah. That's exactly what I felt like. I mean, I don't know. I struggle with some depression here and there. Yeah. But but for me, it was like, oh, I have to go back. So I think I caught on just about of what you're talking about. How can you live with that sense of relief from here on? And uh, as all these things come at you, how do you let all those things go so that you feel that way, even though you're not dying at that at this present moment? Yeah. You can live just the way you were dying. And it's your karma to have this depression sorry to hear that. So what would your advisor tell you about living with your depression? Um, well, there was some sort of relief in saying, you know, because uh, I think everything, it, everything about life preoccupies me. And so if you can just let go of that, then it's not so bad. Yeah. And you know, um, this reflection is supposed to, uh, one of its main um, benefits, it's called Samvega. It gives us a sense of urgency. We got to take care of this stuff. We got to take care of our karma. Um, we have to face it, and you know, we may not. You know, we could, death could come at any moment. So we want to resolve these, resolve these issues, these pettinesses, and and come to our senses. And um, and have our hearts be rooted more here in nirvana. I know that at a, a part of the dying process are, is that these thoughts, this karma comes flooding in on us and we're weak and we can't, you know, can't deal with it. And people, you know, so uh, now that we're strong, we're alert, capable, we can take this on right now to uh, let go of our clingings, let go of our pettiness, see this clearly, see clearly the uh, ignorance. It's not hard to see, it's everywhere in my mind.
I, uh, the man who started the uh, Zen Hospice Project, his name is Frank Ostevsky. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He's a great, great guy and a great teacher. And um, he wrote me uh, uh, a message just before I came here. Uh, Please come to my book reading tomorrow. And his book reading is... The Five Invitations, Discovering What Death Can Teach Us About Living Life Fully. (laughs) Five minutes before I got in my car to leave. And he has five principles, uh, invitations. Something like what we've talked about tonight. Welcome everything. Push away nothing. Bring your whole self to the experience. Find a place of rest in the middle of all this. And cultivate don't know mind. Just let it come in. I just want to read one more little thing that... uh, was said about this book. Um, Death is not awaiting us at the end of a long road. Death is always with us. In the marrow of every passing moment, a secret treasure hiding in plain sight, helping us to discover what matters most in life. This is a path to transformation. Wake up. Wake up fully to our lives. So thank you. <laughs>